All right, good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you. Let's take our Bibles and go to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John, chapter 15, as we continue this study in the Upper Room Discourse, the final teachings of Jesus to his disciples just before he goes to the cross. And we are in the home stretch here. I was just reviewing this morning the final sermons uh, of this series that we've been in for three years, uh, going from the, the pre-incarnation of Christ to the virgin birth of Christ, all the way through his life, now in the last weeks uh, of his, uh, last week of his life, in fact, the last hours of his life. And then, of course, on April 2nd, we will be at the crucifixion. On April 9th, of course, which is Easter, we'll be at the resurrection. And then just two more messages, really, uh, before we head out into what's coming next. And I'm really excited about the future, about what's coming at River City, some of the things we're going to be studying together on Sunday morning. We will start a series in Revelation this fall, uh, beginning in August. I'm super excited about going through that. I'm not sure what I'm going to say yet, because I'm not sure I understand it yet. But we're going to have a good time when we get there, I guarantee you. And so uh, a lot of people are asking about future events and end times, and we're just going to dive right in and to look at the book of Revelation together this fall. But much to happen between now and then, and I trust that you'll be along for every part of this journey. Um, I hope also on your way out today uh, that you will look at those signs that are all over the campus on your way out. There are QR codes on the back of those signs to sign you up for a small group, okay? Please take advantage of that. These small groups begin the week of Easter, and so we're reformatting our small group ministry. There's a lot of options to go to people's homes. There's a couple that'll be right here on the property. There's one on the west side. There's one down in Mandarin. There's several here in Arlington, and so find one near you. Find one where you can get plugged in, where you can grow together uh, in relationships with other believers, uh, and uh, make some good friends here at the church. I'm super excited to get those started and looking forward to more of our church connecting together in that way. All right, well, last time we looked at John 14 and looked at Jesus' promise to those who were receiving the troubling news that Jesus was going to depart and that Peter was going to deny and that Judas was going to betray. Twice in John chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. We looked at that last week, and this week Jesus is going to begin to discuss with his disciples the ability to have an ongoing communal relationship with Jesus, even after Jesus ascended to the Father where he is even today. How do you and I have an ongoing relationship with a God that you have never physically seen? Let's take a look at what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, 
You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Amen. This is God's word. This morning I want to speak to you on the subject, a visit to the vineyard. A visit to the vineyard. Doesn't it strike you how you can be really good at something and really terrible at something else? I mean, I like to think that I am a fair fisherman, okay? I've done it all my life. I've been fishing since I was a kid. I had a fishing pole in my hand from the time that I could walk, no doubt. And moving to Florida has been an awesome experience. I mean, I really, really love pastoring this church. But I really also love fishing. And so, for those two reasons, you'll never get rid of me, okay? I really love to do it. And I, I go out. In fact, I'm going out today a little later. And uh, I go out often and I enjoy it. It's my hobby. It's something. And I usually catch fish and the water temperature is about right. And the weather's getting right. It's just really a good time to go. And yet, as good as I might think I am at fishing is equally as terrible as I am at trying to keep plants alive. Now look, I'm telling you right now, 1211 Kendall Drive in Jacksonville, Florida is the place where plants come to die. Uh, my friend Randy back here, Randy Collins back here, he is a horticulturalist of sorts. He is really good at plants. And bless his heart, Randy has always wanted me to get really good at plants, I fear. And Randy has come to my house multiple times with a beautiful, brand new plant. Of course, of which I have no idea what it is. I have no idea how to keep it alive. I cannot look. Some of you guys can walk out. Every tree you see, you're like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a weeping willow or that's an oak tree and it's got 15,000 acorns or whatever. I don't even know what they all do. And you, you, can, look, you can look at a plant and say, oh yeah, that's a, that's a this. And you probably even know the scientific name for them and all that kind of thing. Listen, plants come to my house and die. Randy, I'm so sorry that I've disappointed you, friend. But even just the other day, I was looking on our back patio where Randy had brought this beautiful plant over that has now been reduced to about three brown twigs. <laughs> we just can not keep plants alive. And so, uh, guys, just don't. Randy, look, you're going to have to find somebody else, brother, to... Blessed with plants because we, look, buy me a plastic plant, okay? If you buy me a plastic plant, there's a chance that I might be able to keep that plant alive. It is unbelievable. Here's the good news. In God's economy, he has a garden. More specifically, a vineyard. And the good news is, God's not like me. He always keeps his garden going. He always keeps his plants growing. Every single plant or vine that is in the vineyard of God is well nourished, well taken care of, uh, abundantly supplied for, and guaranteed to thrive. This is the message of John chapter number 15 about how God views his people. In this passage of scripture, God compares our lives to a vine in a vineyard. And he tells us that those people who abide in the vine, those people who remain in the vine, those people that are connected 
to the vine are branches that will flourish and bear fruit, and in some cases much more fruit, and fruit that even remains for the long haul. Uh, This analogy of the vineyard is not something new to Scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, Israel is compared to a vine on multiple occasions, including uh, Psalm 80, Jeremiah chapter 2, and my favorite in Isaiah chapter number 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, God describes Judah as a vineyard that was very carefully cared for, planted with the choicest vine, uh, had a fence protected around it, had, uh, had weeds pulled out from it to keep it from being choked out. And then ultimately, this vineyard that had every possible way and reason to thrive ultimately died did not stay connected to the vine. Now, Jesus, in John chapter 15 and verse number 1, has just told his disciples that he's going to be going away, and yet he's going to remain with them through the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And really, John 15 and 16 really stay in that thread, that it is the Holy Spirit of God right here, right now among us, who dwells in us, that we dwell in him, that enables us to live out this life as disciples. Now, this interesting analogy that Jesus gives us in John 15 is going to lead me to, I believe, the simplest outline I've ever preached at this church, okay? This is so very simple. How does Jesus want you, what does Jesus want you to learn about the vineyard? What does Jesus want you to learn uh, from John chapter number 15? He basically wants you to learn this, that Jesus Christ is the source of your spiritual existence and your spiritual effectiveness, In other words, without Jesus, you are absolutely nothing. And without Jesus, you can do absolutely nothing. You can bear no spiritual fruit without life-giving union to Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter number 15, Jesus gives us three statements here that help us understand this. Number one, okay, here's a simple outline. Number one, Jesus is the true vine. If you were looking for something deeper than that, you came to the wrong church today, okay? Jesus is the true vine. That's what verse 1 says. I am the true vine. Now, do not look quickly past the first two words of John chapter number 15. I am. John's entire gospel is built on this case that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In fact... Uh, John uses seven miracles to authenticate who Jesus is. And along with those seven miracles, Jesus would pronounce seven what we call I am statements. In John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he says, I am the door. In John 10 also, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11 verse 25, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Last week we saw John saying, uh, Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here in John chapter 15 and verse number 1, he says that I am the true vine. All of those statements are birthed out of a statement that was made by God Almighty to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. When God called Moses at the burning bush and said, I want you to go lead my people out and bring them in to the promised land. Moses said, who am I supposed to tell these people sent you or sent me? And God replies to Moses and says these words, tell them I am sent you. I am what? Well, the statement I am is a statement of the self 
existence of God, the all-powerful nature of God where God exists as God in and of himself. Now, listen very carefully. Don't miss this. When Jesus makes these statements, I am this, he is connecting himself to the fact that he is the true and living God. In fact, remember in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees are giving Jesus a hard time? And, they, and, 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 and Jesus said to the Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And the Pharisees go, wait a second, wait a second. How can you talk about knowing Abraham? You're only 40 years old. You're not even 40 years old yet. And what did Jesus say back to them? He said, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I recognize I'm from West Virginia, and my grammar is not always great. And Jesus was not being ungrammatical there. I don't even know if that's a word. He was being ungrammatical by saying, I am. He was being theological rather than grammatical. What he was saying is not, I existed before Abraham did. In other words, I was born before Abraham was. No, no. He's saying, I am. I existed always before Abraham ever breathed his first breath in this life. Folks, do not make any mistake about it. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and therefore he is the only source of salvation. He is the only source of spiritual life, and in every way, start to finish, you can do nothing without Jesus Christ. You can't go to heaven without Jesus Christ. You can't have your sins forgiven without Jesus Christ. You can be the best you you can possibly be, but the best you and your best day and your best clothes is at best a sinner in need of Jesus Christ. It's amazing sometimes in America and our churches, especially in the South here, where people always want to look Christian and talk Christian and act like they're Christians. Sunday morning could be a case for Grammy Awards every Sunday where the best acting takes place on Sunday morning. You don't need church You don't need a more improved appearance. You don't need to be more theologically savvy. You need Jesus. And without him, you'll never be saved. And without him, you cannot thrive spiritually. He is the true vine. My first car was a 1986 BMW i3. It was cool. There was a guy in my church back in West Virginia that married a gal from Germany because he was stationed in Germany during his military service. While he was in Germany, he learned how to work on German cars. And so he became a master at fixing up and reselling and redoing BMWs. So when I got my driver's license uh, there at the end of my high school years, uh, he offered my Uh, me to purchase one of these at a very, very good price. I can't remember what I paid for it, but it was a little silver BMW with with, with kind of brittled up leather seats. It was old school. It was cool. And I thought I was cool because I had a BMW. Even if it was a $1,000 BMW, it was still a BMW. And so I loved the car, and I had the car. In fact, I had the car when Angie and I uh, started dating, and and I had moved uh, out to Kansas City to go to school, and I had my BMW with me, and so I drove out there. And there was one thing about the BMW that just bothered me. It was the dashboard. The dashboard was a special kind of ugly. I mean, it was just ugly. 
It had been sun-beaten and brittled and had cracks and tears and, you know, the, what used to be that really nice-looking vinyl or whatever it was. I mean, it just looked absolutely awful. In fact, uh, uh, he, had, he had put like a, a little piece of like black carpet over the top of it that almost made it even look worse. And for some reason, I just could not handle the fact that I had this awesome car, but I had such a jacked-up dashboard. It just was intolerable. So I decided I was going to replace that dashboard. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever done anything like this at all, or if you've even had the opportunity to even look behind a dashboard to see what is behind a dashboard. But I'm going to tell you, if I am bad at gardening, I am worse at mechanics. But I said, you know what, I'm changing this dashboard. So I went down to a junkyard, found a, a BMW that had been wrecked and had an absolutely perfect dashboard. The dashboard was not touched in this accident. And so I went down there. I still remember it was pouring the rain. I'm in a junkyard. I, I don't even know what I'm doing. But I start tinkering around and ended up uh, getting the bolts off and pulled this uh, uh, dashboard off. And, of course, I'm seeing a jungle of wires. And I'm, I've, I'm, I'm, you know, cutting and marking every wire exactly the way I think it's supposed to go. And then I get back to the garage where my car was, and I, I pulled that one off, mine off. And I started cutting wires. I marked every single one of them with a, a special color tape and, and labeled them for what they were to go to. And then carefully and meticulously put the new uh, dashboard up in there and, and started reconnecting all the wires. Got them all together. Fit it right back up on the, on the ledge there where it went. Got it all screwed in. Got everything looked. I stepped out was so proud of myself. Because there was a beautiful brand new dashboard on my 1986 BMW. And everybody's going to be impressed because my dashboard does not look like it was destroyed by a cat. <laughs> and everything was great. Until I stuck the key in the ignition. And there wasn't a grunt. There wasn't a burp. There wasn't a, a vroom of any kind. It wasn't that like it was struggling to get started and things weren't working out the way it was supposed to work. It was just like there was absolutely nothing. In fact, it didn't even acknowledge that there was a key in the ignition. Like things didn't start dinging or buzzing or seatbelt signs didn't start going on. Nothing. Just blank. No lights, no flickers, no sounds, nothing. I turned it. I turned it off. I turned it on. I turned it off uh, probably 50 times. And lo and behold, absolutely nothing. Nothing. I looked, I tried to figure it out. In fact, Angie, <laughs> Angie, bless her heart, she went to the library and picked up a book on the exact model of BMW that I had. And there we were on a romantic date one evening, sitting down at the coffee table, looking at the detailed specs of a 1986 BMW. And believe it or not, Angie was reading and she looked and said, you know what, this might have something to do with it. And I still don't even remember to this day what it was, but evidently there was some kind of kill-all switch or, or you know, wire or something that evidently I had no idea about. And all I had to do was click on the kill switch, and the whole thing worked. This is what some of you are missing. You're like trying to be that new dashboard. You're trying to clean your life up. You're trying to come to church. You're trying to make it all look good. You're trying to put some armor all on that dashboard, thinking that as long as the dashboard looks good, I'm good. 
No, friend, listen. You don't need a new dashboard. You need that kill-all switch to be turned on. And the only way that you can have life in Christ is not by getting a clean dashboard. It is by getting salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only way this works. So number one, Jesus is the true vine. Number two, his disciples are the branches. His disciples are the branches. Notice verse number two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Uh, Verse number four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what's the analogy? Jesus is the vine and the disciples are the branches. And here is what a disciple is like. He is like a branch hooked up to the vine. And unless you are hooked up in the vine, you have no spiritual light. Now, there's a word here that is used multiple times in the text. It's in verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 9, and 10. It is the little word here, abide. Some translations use the word remain. But the word abide literally means to stay, remain, to be fixed in, to dwell. In fact, most of the time in the Bible, the word is used, it has something to do with someone's house. So like in Luke chapter 1, or I'm sorry, John chapter 1 verse 38, when uh, Andrew says to Jesus, where do you stay? Meaning, where is your house? He used the little Greek word meno, which is the same Greek word that is translated abide here. What does it mean? It means to be at home in. It means to dwell with. It means to live with. It means being a Christian doesn't have to do with one decision you made when you were five and prayed a prayer and signed a card. Being a Christian has to do with having life in Christ, dwelling in Christ, being one with Christ, remaining in Christ. And what does it mean for us, folks? It means this, that true disciples did not just make a decision. True disciples entered into a family. You see, in Christ, not only is your eternal destination set, but your production is possible. Now, let me share with you three truths from the branch illustration that Christ gives here that we must consider. Number one, true disciples will continue. True disciples will continue. Ultimately and inevitably, people who are connected to the vine will continue. This is not, let's get excited about church for three months because uh, my bank account is at a zero. Maybe if I get God back into my life, things are going to work out a little bit better. Or I'm going through a real tough time, so maybe I'm going to give God a try. We're not here to give God a try. We're here to give God our lives. We continue. We remain. We dwell in. We stay connected. The Bible says in 1 John chapter number 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not of us at all. It is sad to see people who make professions of faith in Christ but have no possession of Christ in their life. Don't be one of those people. True disciples continue. Number two, true disciples bear fruit. Verse two, they bear fruit. Verse four, they bear fruit. Verse five, they bear fruit. Verse eight, they bear fruit. 
Folks, if you are born again by the Spirit of God and God is in your house, everybody's going to know about it. There will be evidence. There will be fruit. Folks, it's, it's obvious that if you have a tree that is not producing fruit and has no leaves and dies up, it's dead. There's no life in the tree. So what does it say about a Christian who has no fruit in their lives at all? Y'all getting quiet on me here. That's okay. The fact of the matter is we have developed a cultural Christianity in the South in particular. Where going to church and being a pretty good person, not sleeping around with your wife and not getting drunk and not living on Oxycontin or whatever makes you okay. Folks, listen. Where is fruit? Where is your fruit? The Bible talks a lot about this, folks. It's not like this is a side footnote in Scripture written in such small font that you can't read it. What about when Jesus said uh, on another occasion that, that, uh, that, that the fruit of our lives is evident by the things that we preach or speak or do in Matthew chapter number 7? What about in Matthew, or Matthew chapter 3 when John the Baptist spoke of, of, of repentance as a fruit of our faith? What about in Romans chapter 1 verse 13 when Paul referred to leading people to Christ as fruit? In Romans chapter 15 verse 28, Paul spoke of monetary offerings as fruit. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, Paul spoke of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance as, yes, fruit. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says that our verbal praise to God is in fact fruit. So let me review that. Praise is fruit. Giving is fruit. Converts are fruit. Repentance is fruit. Love, joy, peace is fruit. How's your fruit? How's your fruit? Is right now their dynamic evidence that you are connected to the vine. So every branch that is connected to the vine will bear fruit. And in this text, in particular, there are two predominant fruits of discipleship that are mentioned. Notice, if you will, beginning in verse number 9. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What is predominant fruit number one of somebody who is connected to Jesus? Ready? Love. Do you love people? Do you love your wife? Do you love your children? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love your church and the people that are in it? Do you love the people that you teach, the people that you care for, the people that you work with? I mean, do you love them? I'm not saying do you say you love them. I'm saying is there the evident demonstration of sacrificial giving for the good and benefit of other people? Do I love other people? If I love God, I love other people. And 1 John builds an entire case on that. Not only is there love, but then there's joy. Verse number uh, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy might be full. 
You see, it's his joy and his love, not my joy and my love. But if I'm connected to the God of love and connected to the God of joy, guess what I'm going to have? I'm going to have love and joy. You want to know what the opposite of joy is? What I see every Sunday when I look out at some of you. Just kidding. Do you have joy? I mean real joy. I'm not talking about happiness, which is related to happenings. Like circumstantially you have happiness. I'm talking about is there a consistent joy in your spirit, in your words, in your presence, in your life that is connected to your relationship with God more than it's connected to the good or bad things that are happening in your life right now. Joy. Love, joy, they're fruits of the Spirit. By the way, they're mentioned first in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I think they are the primary fruits of the Spirit. They are the primary indication that you are connected to the vine. Do you have fruit? What about the fruit of winning people to Christ? Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to be overbearing this morning. I'm just saying I should be looking around me and there should be some evidence around me that I'm connected to Christ. What about telling people about Jesus? What about a cold and dead and dormant faith that expresses no faith to anybody anywhere ever about their relationship with God? What about somebody that's never spoken up and never told somebody else that Jesus saves? What about somebody that never gets involved and connects anybody ever to any kind of outreach whatsoever about a, a Christian who is never a missionary, never on mission at all? What about repentance? What about confession? What about, what about responding to the Holy Spirit of God? I'm saying, folks, if there is life in me connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be fruitful evidence that that is true. Which leads me to the third thing. And that is that the Father is the keeper of the vineyard. So number one, Jesus is the true vine. Number two, the disciples are the branches. Number three, Jesus is the keeper of the vineyard. Or Jesus, as verse one, uh, verse one says, he is the vine, or the father is the vine dresser. Or we would say, I believe in the, 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 old, the King James, it says the husbandman, the one that cares for the vineyard. He is the caretaker of the vineyard. And watch this. He does not do so in a destructive and demeaning way. It, it literally should be encouraging to you to know that the whole time, this whole relationship you have through the Lord Jesus Christ is being carefully and lovingly watched over by the Father. And so the attitude or the, 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 the propensity of God toward us is one of care and love and concern for your well-being. Now, this comes out in two ways. First of all, he prunes branches so that they can maximize their fruitfulness. Back up to verse 2. Look and see this. Every branch in me that he does not that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Let me give a second to that phrase there if I could. That, it, almost, it sounds like when you read that, it means he just, he's, he just cuts it off and moves it out of the way. That, that actually, in Greek, the, the, the literal wording here is this. It is that he lifts it up. Now, if you, know anything about, if you know anything about vineyards, which, again, obviously, I know very little except for what I study in the Bible, okay? But vineyards uh, are, if you've ever seen a vineyard, if you've ever grown vines, you know that vines grow around things like trellises, or lattices, or some kind of wall or railing, right? Where the where the, uh, the, the the branch circles around and grows up on and around. 
So, so, so when the text here says that, that a, a, a vine, okay, I mean a branch, is lifted up by the husbandman, that's actually more of what it's referring to. It's talking about sagging branches that are losing their way will be carefully pinned up and carefully arranged so that they can grow in the direction that maximizes their fruitfulness. So first of all, the father is going to lift up a branch, and then next he will do this. He will prune Look at what it says. He takes it away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Literally meaning that the Father will see to it to strategically snip smaller roots away from the branch in order to maximize fruitfulness in the main branch. Now, how cool is that? In other words, if there's one branch off of a vine and there's little tiny shoots off of that branch, he's going to snip that away so that no vitality is wasted on the snippet, but that all the vitality goes to what makes the branch thrive. Now, guys, this should be so encouraging to you. Let me ask you this. Have you lost something this year? Has anything, anyone, any circumstance, any monetary value been taken from you? Here's the good news. The Father never allows or does anything in your life to hurt you. He's only doing it to send more of that spiritual sap into your life to produce maximum fruit. Man, what a way to look at things in our life. What a way to look at every health setback. What a way to look at every vocational difficulty. What a way to look at ever comes into my life in any way. That God was allowing this in order for me to be, to, I'm bearing fruit. It says that every, every branch that bears fruit, he's going to snip away things. God is literally going to cultivate in our lives... Things that will remove unproductive or unhelpful areas in our lives that need to be pruned away. It's just like what James says. You ask and you have not uh, because you ask amiss and you may consume it upon your own lust. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the things we want, we ask for, we think we need so badly and even get mad at God when we don't get them are the very things that are actually distractions and hindrances to you being the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. So this could help you stop whining and start thanking. Because how about this? God will see to it, follow me now, that you have everything you need. So if you don't have something, you don't need something. And yes, maybe you're in a circumstance right now where uh, the lifestyle that you maybe want to live is not equal to the one you are living. Or maybe uh, a job situation puts you in a place where there's certain things that had to be cut out or removed or stopped. Or maybe there's a relational issue that got cut down or, or somebody interfered or something happened in a, in a relational breakup or breakdown of some kind that something was taken from you that you cherished and you loved and you thought was important. Just remember this, if you don't have it, you don't need it because if you needed it, you would have it and it's a good thing for Best in a father who gives us everything that we need. And sometimes the things that we want are the things that are keeping us from the things that we actually need more than anything. And so God will just snip it away in love. And yeah, having something snipped probably doesn't feel great. 
but he did it so that you would bear more fruit. So that's the first thing the Father does. The Father will prune away the branches of disciples in order for them to maximize fruitfulness. Secondly, and this is where it gets frightening, listen, the Father will discard branches that bear no fruit. Now, folks, listen, it, it says in verse 6, y'all going to have to follow me here, okay? You're going to you're gonna have to follow along, and this is, this is tough. Somebody help me up here. Look, I, didn't write, I did not write the newspaper, okay? I'm just delivering the news, all right? Y'all know the difference? Like, people get mad at preachers. I can't believe he said that. Well, that's why, that's why we preach the Bible, because I'm giving you what's already been said. I'm not saying anything new. I'm just sharing with you something that's already there. So let's look. It's in the Bible, verse 6. Every branch... Uh, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, he's just said, <clears throat> back in verse number three, watch this, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, I want you to mark your finger here. i got to take you back to John 13. Go back to John 13 real quick. we got to see this. Uh, look at verse 7. Same, same conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm coming somewhere here. Y'all just stay with me. Jesus answered and said to him, what am I now doing? You do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, this is the foot washing, right? Peter says to Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, you shall, uh, Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter says, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands uh, and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but... Not all of you. Okay, right? Did y'all follow that? Now back in chapter 15 and uh, verse number 3. You are already clean because of the word that was spoken to you. So the true disciples are also considered to be those who are clean, cleansed by Christ. But in John 13, Jesus identified one of them who was not clean. So who's the dead branch? Judas, a dead branch that up to this point looked just like all the other branches. A tree is dead before you see it. My friend, here's the warning. I'm sorry to have to be the bearer of this real bad news for just a moment. But let me tell you something. This is true in the word. It is true. It is possible for a person to appear to be a disciple, even be among disciples, to look like a branch, to look like they are connected, but only to find out that they were never connected all along. The ultimate and sad account of the vine is that some people are just close enough to the vine to look like a branch to look like they fit in, but unfortunately they are not actually connected to the branch. And how sad would it be to three and a half years to hear every precious sermon that fell off the lips of the Lord Jesus, to see every miracle 
occurred to have your name start with the same letter, to have your name end in the same letter, and to have the same amount of letters in your first name to be among those who healed the sick and raised the dead and preached the only to be that one who never knew Jesus in the first place. Lord, help us today. You could be a churchgoer and you could not be a Christian at the same time. I will tell you this, friends, there have been many people saved at our church after being attending this church for months and months and months, and in some cases even years. Because cultural Christianity is a plague in the southern United States of America. It is a plague. It is, I think I go to church, and therefore I am a Christian. And i got to tell you, friend, that very sentiment is the very thing that will lead Many, including Judas, straight to an eternal hell. So friend, you better make sure you're in a relationship with the vine. Let's pray together. Let's have a word of prayer. Before we do, I want to encourage you to respond to the message. It's our time of prayer in our service every week. I invite you to pray there in your seat about your own personal spiritual needs. I invite you to respond to the sermon. Maybe you would have somebody pray with you, for you. Maybe you just need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to look the part. It it, it must be that I have personally received and accepted Jesus into my heart and life. And I know that I have a dynamic, life-giving relationship with him. Do you have life and fruit or not? How many of you would say, preacher, I needed to hear this message. I know I'm a Christian. I want to be sure I'm bearing fruit. I want to remain in Christ. I want to remain in my relationship with Christ. I want to, I want to, to not just be saved, but I want to thrive. I want my relationship with God to thrive. And I want him to bear that fruit in my life. God spoke to me. If that's you, would you hold your hand up and say, God spoke to me. I want to thrive in this Christian life. Amen. I'm going to invite you to come and pray in a moment. But there may be somebody here today, you cannot thrive because you're not alive. You do not know Christ as your Savior, man. Today, open up your heart like the front door of your house and welcome Jesus Christ into your life. He says, whoever will call upon my name, I'll save them. I'll forgive him. I'll enter in with him. Like entering someone's house to have supper with him. Jesus can be your Savior and your Lord if you invite him. Today, where you're seated, you can obey what God says. Call on his name so that he can save you. So right there in your seat, would you simply do this? If you're sitting there in your seat and say, Preacher, I need to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I want to have a a relationship with Christ. Right there in your seat, just lift up your heart to God right now and just pray a prayer like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I know I cannot save myself. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for my sins and rose again from the dead. Today, I accept Jesus as my savior. Thank you for loving me. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Man, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God. We're so thankful and glad for you. I wonder if there's anybody in the room right now, you'd say, preacher, I want you to know, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. I just accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I'm thankful for that. Was there anybody in the room that said, preacher, that's me. I did that and I want you to know that. Would you pray for me? I prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. Preacher, I just want you to know that was me. If that was you, would you just slip up your hand high enough that I could see it? Would you do that? Just slip it right up and then right back down. Preacher, I prayed that prayer a minute. I'm glad that I did. I'm thankful that I did. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm grateful. I appreciate God working in my life and bringing me to this place today. Let's all stand to our feet if we could. As we have a closing time of prayer, I want to invite you to come, spend some time here praying at the altar, responding to God, making a commitment before him. If you've got something you're praying about, we have a prayer team. We'd be more than happy to have some folks come and pray with you about any spiritual needs that you might have. Uh, feel welcome here. Feel family here. Feel at home here. Let's come and pray and let's respond. God, I want to bear fruit. I want to remain in you. I want to be uh, in that dynamic relationship with you. Lord, help me to do that. And then we'll uh, pray for a few minutes and then we'll be on our way. Let's go ahead and pray.